I really feel like God's given me a message tonight. Matter of fact, he woke me up in, in the morning after I already had my message planned and said, nah, I don't think so. This is what I want you to talk about. And I'm like, dang it, you do that every time. What's going on with that? So anyway, if somebody w- wouldn't mind just saying a couple of prayers for me, I'd appreciate that. Uh, if, for anybody who's new, doesn't know me, my name's Larry Pombianco. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, so I get to preach the last message of 2018. I think that's pretty cool. And I think, uh, I, th- I feel like, I think you all know me well enough to know when I say this, that there's no weirdness to it. But I feel like God's given me a word for our church tonight. And uh, so... Um, but you'll be the judge of that because the listeners get to judge whether something's of God or not. So what I'm going to, uh, uh, as you can see, my uh, message title is The Radically Beautiful Great Things God Does. All right. Anybody who knows me knows I got to throw words like that in. I just can't go, God does great things. I just can't do that. That's like eating vanilla ice cream. And for me, you know. I mean, you got a rocky roll with chocolate syrup and, you know. And so um, the topic that I was given that's been uh, preached on for a while is uh, on God does great things. And we all know that. But what I, I really like the idea of God radic- is radically, uh, radically does beautiful and great things. Radically. Here's what I mean by Radically. You know, you can have the smallest thing happen to you that God does in your life. That's radical because it came from God. You know, if he did just a little bit, like this morning, I woke up, I had a heaviness over me. I've been sick, blah, blah, blah. God spoke one word to me. Man, it was roses. It was sunshine. I was in the Bahamas. You know, I was like flying. It was great. It was radical because God's, because it came from God. And God is otherworldly. I just, it just breaks my heart that we've made God so commonplace and we have taken all the, uh, all of the otherworldliness out of Him and it's, we've just made it common. But God is radical. It doesn't matter what He does. He is radical. And He's also beautiful. I know that's a weird thing to say here at Scum because Scum we tend to be, yeah. But to me, he's radical. Now, I can say that. I've been here for a long time. I know everybody. And uh, he's also beautiful. There is beauty. All beauty comes from him. He is beautiful. And I don't think we say that enough about God. The beauty of his holiness. He is beautiful. He is beauty. He is beauty. Infinity. And everything he does is beautiful. Even if it's mixed with our little bit of junk, it's beautiful. And he also does great things. And we're going to talk tonight about um, something uh, that I think is just, it's a beautiful thing. So what I'm going to be talking about, this is not going to be a typical message. You know, uh, guys like Mike and Craig, I mean, they can, and I can do this, and I've done it. Kind of hermeneutical approach where you got a passage of scripture, you use the whole thing, you unpack it, and you got an application at the end, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, tonight, it's not going to be quite like that. What I hope that'll happen tonight 
is that you look at me, because I think I'm the oldest guy here. Steve, am I older than you? No. Steve, my friend Steve's one year older than me. Uh, As far as our church goes, I'm the old guy here. And I hope you look at me tonight as your brother in Christ. And I hope you look at me as like a father in the faith or an uncle or that funky uncle they let up front every once in a while. Just somebody that is, there's nothing official about this. But I just want to share something that's actually been in my heart for a while. And then God released me to share it. And it's about a message I heard 35 years ago tonight. 1983, on a Sunday night. As a matter of fact, while I'm talking here, I heard that message 35 years ago while I'm talking. And it radically changed my life and became a cornerstone by how I walk with Jesus. So, uh, so I didn't realize that when the Lord told me to share this. But then I got to think about it. Wow. 35 years ago, 1983, on the last Sunday night of the year. And here's what happened was we were having a conference. Uh, I'm I'm jumping my points here. Sorry. (laughs) That's what happens when you get excited about something. You start jumping all around. I don't want to do that. All right. So I want to lead off this message with saying this, because this is an important point. That the Christian life is not a static life. It's a dynamic life. It's not a stagnant life either. It's a dynamic life. And this is what I mean by dynamic. When you look at a river, a river is dynamic. That means it's moving. It's shaking. It's doing stuff. The river is always there. The water is always there. The rocks are always there. The riverbank is always there. But the river, by its very nature, is dynamic. It's always moving. And it's changing things. We can't see it. When the, in a river, when it's going over those rocks, it's wearing those rocks out. Those rocks are changing. If you, put, um, if you put like a branch or a tree in a river, eventually you'll get petrified wood, which means waters flow through that, taking out the wood fiber, replace it with minerals. The fish are moving. The algae's changing. It's dynamic. That's the Christian life. For anybody to say, I'm saved now, I'm waiting to go to heaven, that's really not the Christian life. Or for somebody to say, well, I just am who I am, you know, and um, I don't know, maybe God will change me, maybe not. But, you know, uh, I'll just, I'll remain the same, and I'll slap a little Jesus on my life, and, you know, that's good. Now, The Christian life is all about the work of God in your life. God is dynamic. He's moving. He's always wanting to speak to you. He's always wanting to change. He's always wanting to work in each one of us. Um, Even though sometimes He's silent, and it doesn't have to be big things all the time. As a matter of fact, most of the time it's not big things. It's smaller things. But God is dynamic. And the Christian life is... Uh, is a dynamic life. It's not static. And it, God is not the God of the swamp. He's not the God of the swamp where everything just comes and just, whoa, just look, nothing. You know, there's, there's life in there. But God moves. So this story is about a friend of mine. His name's Doug. We were in a church. He was a pastor. I was the youth pastor. Actually, me and Steve were the youth pastors. <laughs> we were not old guys back then. 
Uh, we were the youth pastors. Uh, I was the worship leader. It tells you how hard up they were because I was the only guy with a guitar. I knew three chords, and it was a nylon string guitar, and I'd carved my name in it, and uh, it, was, it was really not that good. Uh, it's just I'm the only guy that had a guitar. And um, anyway, he, we, did the, we, we, we liked doing these little conferences, church conferences, at the end of the year. So it was, it was like pretty typical stuff. Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday noon, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. So we were at the end of this conference, and we just kind of, I mean, I really enjoyed doing that. Because it seemed like God always spoke to us through those things. Now, you got to remember about me that um, I have always been, always, since I met Jesus, I was like a bullet shot out of a gun. Now, I wasn't always moving fast. But ever since I met Jesus, it's been on like Donkey Kong. I mean, I was on fire. I was a seeker. And I can't say that I made it that way. It's the way God did it in me. From the day I met him in July of 1969, he just he set me on fire and I'm still I'm still in flames. I feel that way. Even when I was sick this week, I could feel the fire of the Holy Spirit. Even when I was preparing for this, the fire of his spirit was flaming up in me. And I've always been a seeker. I always wanted to know more about the Word. I always wanted to be with Him. I always wanted to be in His presence. I wanted to lead people to Christ. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a manufactured activity for me. It's just the way it was between me and Jesus. And I can only give Him credit for it. I couldn't manufacture that. So I'm saying that because in this conference meeting, 35 years ago tonight, this guy, Doug, he shared something. I'd never heard this in my life. Where did that come from? And here's what he said. He had been talking to um, a, a, a guy who was uh, like a mentor to him. And this mentor asked him this question. Are you ready to invite a deeper work of the Holy Spirit in your life? You could have knocked me off my chair when I heard him say that. I'd never heard that before. I'd never even heard the word deeper. But he said the guy invited him. He said, are you ready to invite the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in your life? Well, and he was, he was challenging our church. You ready for that? I'm like, ah, oh, heck yeah. I don't know what that means, but my spirit leapt within me. And so I did that night. 35 years ago tonight, I did. My life hasn't been the same since. And it's become a foundational prayer for me and a foundational principle. Well, January rolls around. 19, that was 1983. 1984 was one of the best years of my life because God began to set me free. The work of His Spirit began to unload Things that I carried in my heart that were not good. And I began to find freedom in Christ. At that point in time, I didn't even know you could have freedom in Christ. And God began to unload me. The whole year, 1984, was a year of that deeper work. If you can imagine an old-fashioned plow being set real deep in the soil. And then that mule just hauling out. And just digging that soil up really deep. 
That's what was going on with me all of 1984. And I began to learn the principle that when God wants to do something new in your life, He extends an invitation. And it doesn't always, it's not always worded like I'm saying it. Uh, there's nothing special in the way I've worded it. It's just the way it came across me. And tonight, I feel like God wanted me to ask our church, are we ready for something like that? real silent. (laughs) Are we ready for something like that? Are we ready for God to do a deeper work of His Holy Spirit in our individual lives and in the life of this church? Are we ready? And here's the context for me. Is I believe that we're coming to the end of an era. Scum turns 19 next year. Uh, February, yeah. Mike, the founding pastor, is no longer going to be a pastor here. Now, you could say, well, that just means we're changing people, blah, blah, blah. But I got to tell you, in my heart, what resonates in my heart, what, uh, and, you know, I've been one of the pastors here for a couple months now, um, helping out. But I've been here for six years, and I got to tell you, I knew a day was, would be coming when something like this happened. When Mike would be, nobody told me anything, I just knew. Eventually, Mike would move on, and God would be ready to do something new in our church. Not because Mike's gone. Because Mike has done a fantastic job of raising up this punk rock church. Nobody else in the whole state ever took on a job like this. Scum of the Earth Church was an anomaly, in the best sense of the word, to most all other churches. A bunch of punk rock kids that just didn't want anything to do uh, with, with uh, stayed Christianity because they got kicked out so many times. Mike took him on by invitation of the Holy Spirit. And he raised up a beaut- through him and through the leaders. Uh, actually, it was uh, Five Iron Frenzy. Him and Five Iron Frenzy were the leaders, unless there's somebody I'm leaving out that I don't know about. And through the leadership, he's done a wonderful job, but God spoke to him three years ago. He said, this church does not need a 65-year-old pastor. So, he's, it's all coming down to it. So, in my mind, we're moving into a new era, not a new season. A season is it lasts a little while. An era is a long time where major stuff gets accomplished. As we're going to be going through changes here. The real change is not this. The, oh, the external stuff, Mike's, this, blah, 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 blah. The real change is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So, our first verse, we are going to get into some scripture. That was a long introduction. <laughs> first scripture, Revelation 3.20. Now, here's the thing I like about Revelation 3.20. Billy Graham and all the most famous evangelists, uses this for an evangelistic uh, verse. Behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks in the heart. Will you let him in? You know, I mean, that's, that's usually what it's used for. But that's not the context. The context of this verse, we'll read it in a second, is it's written to a church. And the name of the church was equal to the city, Laodicea. They had become a lukewarm church. They become stagnant. They become static. They were in love with their wealth. They were in love with the things that they had. And in a sense, Jesus was on the outside of the church. Now, that doesn't mean they kicked him out. And it doesn't mean he wasn't in the church, because you can't call a church a church if Jesus isn't in it. 
was a more of a metaphorical thing. And here's what Jesus says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The door of what? The church. Not the building church. So you, that's, that's the scum of the earth door right there. That's our door right there. Not the building. The door of the actual church. The people. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Actually, the word dine there means like buffet party, dudes. That's what the word dine. It's not like, oh, let's sit down and just like, uh, let's have, you know, like a couple of enchiladas. Although I'd like that, you know. Uh, let's have uh, some chips and guacamole. No, I mean, he's talking about load the thing up. And let's just pig out. That's basically what that means. He means the word feast. Here's the interesting thing. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, what's the knock? The knock is his voice. That means God was speaking to that church. You guys believe? You guys believe? Uh, oh, now I'm getting into my Pentecostal preaching. Sorry. <laughs> Almost did one of those things I hate doing. <laughs> You guys believe that, Baba? Sorry, I almost did that. Uh, I do believe that God speaks to churches. The Spirit of God speaks. And what he's saying here, the knock on the door was the voice of God knocking on the door of that church. But he, here's what he says. He's knocking on the door of the whole church. But he said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Now he's referring to individuals. That's why the voice of God speaks to a church in a corporate fashion. And he also speaks to the individual hearts. That's what this verse means. God is on the outside trying to get on the inside. That doesn't mean that God isn't in the church. It just means it's metaphorical. He wants to be more in. I'm knocking because I want to be more in. And the reason why I'm using this verse is I believe you guys weigh this out for yourself. I believe God's knocking on our door. And you know what? He's done that before. I've been here for six years. I've been here at least through, um, trying to think, I want to be um, accurate here, three times where the church has shifted and changed. And God was knocking on our door. We responded and good things came up. At least three times. And so I think, I think we're up against another time with, with the physical changes that we're going to be going through because Mike is stepping down. That means a lot. But I think God's knocking on our door and he's asking, will you let me in? It's not that he's not in scum of the earth church. I hope you hear me say that. He's just, I want to be in more. And I want to, you know, when, in, back in the day when uh, God, people ate together, that means they were in covenant together. That meant they were having fellowship. That's how they, they were sharing each other's life. Having a conversation. That's the invitation. So, um, I always like that verse. And that's, that's kind of uh, a verse that expresses how I feel this is happening. And um, the idea, a deeper work of the Holy Spirit, means he wants, he wants to work on our hearts. You know... God doesn't care that much for behavior. Ooh. Some preachers and pastors would go, oh, yes, he does. Youth pa- I used to be I was a youth pastor for 40-something years. Youth pastors always like to uh, focus on behavior. 
man, I wish I'd get those kids to behave so I could give them the word. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but God really cares more for the heart. When you look at the way Jesus preached and taught, and then the apostles that wrote the word, they really focused on people's hearts. Because if you get the heart changed, the behavior will change. When you see people acting out, when you see people doing stuff, Christians doing stuff that uh, you know is, you know, uh, this is one of the things that bu- bugs me. Maybe it's because I'm just old. I don't know. But when you say Christians are subscribing to, and they've been Christians for quite a while, but they're doing stuff that they know is, is not according to the Word. It's not glorifying God. It's sin. And they just kind of excuse it. Well, if you get the problem is with the heart. God wants to change the heart. So when we talk about a deeper work of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit getting in there. One of my favorite verses is, um, I believe it's Galatians. I should know. Galatians or Colossians. It talks about a real Jew is one who's circumcised in the heart. Think about what circumcision is. Ouch! (laughs) Ouch! That means God wants to cut on your heart. He wants to cut on my heart. To take some stuff away. That's a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. There are some things that follow us that are not good for us. Lies. I was just talking with somebody before the service tonight. Talking about lies this person believed that are keeping this person from really following Jesus and experiencing his love in the best form. It, it's Each one of us, it's different. Now we go back to uh, Philippians. There we go. All right. Back in 1970-something, I got... I didn't know this is what it's called. I found it out later. A life passage. In other words, it's a passage of Scripture that would describe my life. This is part of it. Uh, actually, Philippians chapter 3, 1 through uh, 16 is, is the whole thing. But when we're talking about uh, life not being static but dynamic, I, wanna, I want us to read through this, and I'm going to pick out a few things. Not that I've already... Paul. Oh, sorry. The context is this. There are these guys that were going around the city of Philippi. And they were saying, if you're going to get saved, you need to be circumcised. In other words, you need to do the epitome of the law. So you need to get circumcised so the mark of God is on you. And you need to keep the law. And you believe in Jesus and then you'll be saved. That's like today when we hear, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Uh, if you uh, aren't baptized, you're not saved. If you don't read your Bible, you're not saved. It's Jesus plus. And I think everybody, I hope everybody, has this one basic thing down. The only thing you need to do to get saved is believe in Jesus and what He did on the cross for you. And accept Him into your heart. And believe that He is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for you. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to read your Bible. You, don't, you should do those things. But that, you don't need to do that kind of stuff. You don't need to speak in tongues to be saved. You receive Christ, and that's it. Well, they were saying other stuff. So Paul was beginning to break down that whole uh, argument. And, I, and, and then he ended it by these verses. And it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that thing's loaded. So I'm just going to point out a couple of things. Because when we're talking about the Holy Spirit doing a deeper work in our life, and that the Christian life's not static, but it's dynamic, here's some of the things that he's saying. Not that I've already attained. I haven't got there yet. Paul's saying, Paul was pretty mature at that time. He's probably going to die not long after that. And he's saying, at the end of a big part of the end of my life, I have not yet got there. I'm not there yet. In the Christian life, if we ever get to the point of saying, I got there, I finally got it, you're going against what the Bible says. Paul says, I have not yet attained. I haven't got there yet. That means he's continuing to move on. He said, or am I already perfected? But I press on. That word press in the Greek, it means like an aggressive movement. It means like, it's not a saunter. It's not a kind of walking around. It's more like a mosh pit word is what it really is. <laughs> I press toward the mark. It's an active word. It's one that says, I am not going to just sit there and let God do stuff to me. There's part of what I, I got to do some stuff. Then he says, that I may lay hold for that of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He's saying, I'm laying a hold of Christ. He didn't say, I'm just going to sit back and let Jesus just douse me. Come on, Jesus, just douse me. I, I don't need to do anything. See, no, I laid hold of Christ. And likewise, he says Christ laid hold of him. It's a mutual embrace. That is, that is the mystery of the Christian life. Yes, I need to do stuff. But in reality, it all begins with Christ laying a hold of me. He initiates. Anything I do is a response to his initiation. I was telling somebody today, if I get to the point where I make a decision that I have to do something that God wants me to do, I will just give credit to God that He already put the idea in my mind and then He's given me the power to do it. But I still have to do it. It's a, laying, it's a mutual laying hold of. Brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind Part of the work of the Holy Spirit, in the deeper work of the Holy Spirit, there comes a point in time where we got to let stuff go. The Christian life, the Christian life is not hoarders. You know the TV show Hoarders. I can't even watch that thing. That is so sad to me. I just like, I just like, ooh, oh my gosh, so sad for those people. It just grieves me. We are not to be hoarders. Emotionally, psychologically, practically. Doesn't mean we can't have stuff. But this word is against that. There are points in time in our life where it's time to leave stuff behind. We got to let go of stuff. Now, when I say stuff, I mean emotional stuff. I mean psychological stuff, even spiritual stuff, even practical stuff. I'm telling you, I'm sitting up here and I'm blah, 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 you know, work of the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. 
But I'm telling you, I'm not doing this to tell you guys what to do. God has already busted my chops. And I'm going to tell you one of the things I'm going to go do is hopefully I feel good enough tomorrow. I'm going to order our storage shed because my wife and I have a dinky apartment. There's stuff that I've been holding on to of sentimental value because it reminds me of a rough period of time my wife and I went through. And those things at that point in time were like, they made me feel better. But I'm not there anymore. But in my mind, I'm just being honest with you guys. In my mind, I'm still attached to what we went through. And God's been convicting me, i got to let go. So I'm going to go there, and there's a big dumpster there. I'm going to get rid of a bunch of stuff. By the way, if anybody wants a really nice speaker system with those speakers on the poles... They're almost brand new. If you want them, we can't use them. Come and talk to me. You can have them for free. They're worth several hundred dollars. You can have them for free because we can't use them. That's one of the things I got to get rid of. We got to let go of stuff. And I I think as Christians, especially if you go through difficult times, we want to hoard. We want to hoard. And he says we have to forget the things, forget those things which are behind. They're behind us. We can keep the memories. We can keep, but the attachment can be devastating to us because it keeps us in the past. Now, only the Holy Spirit can tell us what to let go of. Only He can do it. Then it says, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, God doesn't tell you to let go of stuff unless He's got something ahead of you to go for. God is not an ogre. He didn't go, all right, um, uh, here's my list. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, here's the 18 things I want you to let go of. And uh, by the way, you're not going to have anything good to replace them. God's never like that. God says, let go because there's good stuff ahead of you. Wouldn't you say that scums had a pretty good run? I'd say so. But there are things probably God's going to touch that we've got to let go of. Because I firmly believe this. I have like mega faith. Scum's got good days ahead of it. I'm not just blowing smoke either. I really believe this. I really believe we have not seen the best yet. But there's going to be some things that we let go of because God has things ahead of us. And then at the end, we're pressed towards the goal. You know, the idea is like the guy... The guy that's right, we used to call it the 440 race, where you had to go around the track four times. I don't know what you call it now. It's a meters or something. I don't know. I'm too old to remember all that stuff. But it's like when you're coming coming around the final turn, and you know you're like third, but you know you got one last burst left in you. And i got to sprint so I can at least get second. It's kind of like that. And that means we don't manufacture it. Just It's a mindset that says when God calls us forward, we press forward because there's things to press into. But it has to be a deep work of God's Spirit. It can't be something we manufacture. That's why, that's why you won't see me up here doing an altar call. That's called manipulation. I won't do that. It's something we all have to figure out on our own. I'm not saying altar calls are wrong. I've done plenty of altar calls. But not tonight. 
That's not what this is about. I want to give you one example, if I can, and then I'm almost done here. Uh, 2003, I went through a very, very rough time. And um, my wife and I, uh, I went through a rough time. I was a youth pastor in this church. And uh, I thought I was going to do it. I mean, I was a good youth pastor, man. I knew what I was doing. And I love kids. But the whole time that I was a youth pastor, five and a half years at this church that I'd been going to for 20 years, God just unraveled my life. I thought I took the job to help the kids in the church. But God mostly said, I, I, I had to take this job because I'm going to do a deep work in your life. So God began to put his finger on different things in my life. And one by one, I was actually pretty shocked. The problem was that, um, I think I can say this, the problem was that I was pretty well known in Denver, actually around the nation. I wasn't famous, but I was well known for the kinds of things I did with young people and for a Columbine, my involvement in Columbine, and for this warfare and prayer. I was well known. I had it going on. And that meant I had the chutzpah inside to do all that. I got all that from God. Because you knew me before I did all that stuff. I was a wimp. God rebuilt me. But then at one point in time, God says, when I took that job, he says, here's the deal, Larry. He didn't say it quite like this, but so here's the deal, Larry. So yes, I rebuilt you. I tore you down. I rebuilt you. But there's still way too much of you. There's too much of you involved in my stuff. And all the stuff that I gave you, you find your identity and value in it instead of me. I'm like, well, I never heard that before. How come somebody didn't tell me about this? And I began to, and God began to put his finger on all this stuff. He said, that's you, that's you, that's you, that's you, that's you, that's you. I gave you all this stuff, but there's too much of you in there. Your value and your identity is wrapped around this whole thing that I'm asking you to let go of. I mean, it was hard. So every day when I spend time with the Lord, there was another thing. So eventually I made an acronym. I took the first letter of uh, everything that the Lord said. It was about that long. I don't know. It was something like that. And I couldn't pronounce it. I just said, you know, that word there, Lord. And uh, at one point in time, my wife and I, 2003, are driving to California to take a break, and we're driving through the middle of Utah. I'm driving along, and the Lord gives me a picture. I'm a picture guy. The Lord gives me pictures. He gave me a picture. It's like I'm looking at dirt, the side of dirt, like really deep, like if you could slice dirt in half, you know, like a hill and looking at it. And he showed me, he said, you know, your soil that, of your heart is really deep. It's about six feet deep. I don't know, that's the way the Lord talks to me. About six feet deep. And it's good soil. You've let me do a lot of stuff in you. But my roots in you are bumping up against something. Because I want your roots to go deeper. Then he showed me there was like a granite shelf six feet down. And he said, that granite shelf is protecting an area of your life that I would like to get into. But I'm not going to do it unless you ask me to. That granite shelf is keeping you from going deep. My poor wife, she's trying to sleep. It's the middle of the day. We're in a blizzard. The Lord's telling me this stuff. I mean, it's not the exact best time. Blizzard in the mountains. 
be doing deep work with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, I mean. And I told Cheryl, uh, I said, Cheryl, the Lord's telling me something. I got to pray. She said, okay, well, I'm going to fall asleep, though. I said, okay. So I started praying. And so I told the Lord, I gave the Lord permission. You can take out that granite shelf. And you can get into that place. So my, your roots can go deeper in me. I told him he could do it. I knew what that meant. I knew what that meant. That God was going to do a deep work in my life. And I'm here to tell you, that was 2003, it's 2018 now. What God did in my life in those next few years to get rid of my blockage because it was too much of myself. My value and my identity were so wrapped up in even God's stuff that it was a blockage. And so God took me up on it. And I'll tell you what, I'm forever grateful. I will not regret that at all. Matter of fact, all the times the Lord has invited me to enter into a deeper work of His Holy Spirit. Yeah, I balked. Dug my heels in. Threw a fit. It was painful. But I'll tell you what, as I'm looking back now, I never, never regretted. I'll tell you what a work of God like that will do is it will reveal the motives of our hearts. And most of us don't like that. Because it reveals the motives of our heart for selfish reasons that we have. So here we are. So my my opinion. I think we're at the end of an era. God wants to start a new one. And He wants to start a new one by doing a deeper work in our hearts. So, application. You can tell I've been trained well. Now I have the application. There we go. Revelation 2, 7. Seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3 were written to seven churches. At the end of each letter, he said that. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit speaks to churches. And we have, we have ears. But will we listen to what the Spirit is saying? This is what Jesus, Jesus is saying this. I'm quoting Jesus here. If we had a red letter Bible, which I don't even know if people have anymore, that would, this verse would be in red. I know that just went. But uh, he who has an ear, that's an old timers guy thing, you know. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe the Spirit is speaking to our church. And here's the thing, is if you, if you stop and think about it, God may have been speaking to you for quite a while. I know since I've kind of been in quasi, I've been in kind of leadership of scum since I started. <clears throat> I was kind of like the unsanctioned leader. He's the old guy here. We'll let him do stuff. You know, so I was kind of like uh, being uh, uh, like for eight months at one period of time, the staff would invite me in to give wisdom. And I think it helped because uh, they kept asking me back. So I've been in leadership for a while. So these things, uh, I, I, I feel like I've got a good, uh, somewhat of a handle on it. I think the Spirit is speaking to our church. So I think you have to ask, can the Spirit of God speak to our church? And if so, can we hear it? I say yes. That's my opinion. Second thing, take some time to take stock of what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I, had a, uh, I, I was in a meeting once. A young lady got up to share, and she was talking about the Lord talking to her. She said she really started, was praying and asked the Lord to speak to her. 
And the Lord spoke back to her and he said, why would I speak to you? I've already spoken to you. I haven't even done what I've told you already. Ouch! That hurt. When she said that, I'm like, man, that hurts me. Um, sometimes God is speaking to us. We don't even know he is until we t- sit down, get quiet before him and listen. So I want to challenge us to take some time. It doesn't have to be before Tuesday when it's January 1st, but the next few weeks. What is God saying to you? Is God talking to you? What is he saying? Then the third thing, what do you want to see God do in your life and in scum? Here's the thing. Uh, For the first few years I was here, we had a monthly prayer meeting. And I always, always opened the prayer meeting like this. I said, I believe you're here because you have a burden and a heart for scum. And I believe God has already deposited something in your heart for scum. So how about we pray from our hearts what God has already put in our hearts? That went off over really well. And I, and I, not, I don't say that sarcastically. People started praying, and that's what they started praying. What do you see God, uh, what do you want to see God do in your life and in Scum's life? I believe God's put some stuff in your heart. I believe that the last few years have been a year of waiting for a lot of people. And almost dying because you're waiting. God has put stuff in your heart and you haven't yet seen it. What has God put in your heart for yourself and for scum of the earth church? And what has God, yeah, so what has God put in your heart for scum? Here's what I want to challenge us to do. What has God put in your heart? How about we put it to prayer? It's easy for us to talk about it, to complain about it, to grovel about it to praise things. But the real deal is what God has put in your heart. How about we put it to prayer? You know, when we first started having prayer, when I first started, I was in charge of the prayer ministry. We started doing once a month prayer times. Then it started breaking out. People were starting to hold prayer meetings in their homes. Some people went after the prayer meeting and went to their apartment, took some people with them, and were having prayer meetings after the prayer meeting. It was awesome. It was, it was like a little Holy Spirit fire going on, and, and uh, it was awesome. How about we put it to prayer? What has God put in your heart for scum, for you? Let's put it to prayer. Then the last thing, ask yourself, are you ready for God to do a deeper work of His Spirit in your, your life? Now, um, I will tell you this. I'm ready. Now, I've had God do some major surgery in my heart. I mean, if you had two or three hours, I could, because I'm an old man. So I got a lot more stories than most of you guys, just by the fact that I'm probably twice as old as half the crowd here. But um, ask yourself, yeah, weigh it out. Weigh it out. Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in your life? And are we ready for the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in the life of scum? And obviously, we're not going to do an altar call and just, yeah, raise your hand and, you know, we don't do that. But ask yourself if you're ready for that. I know I am. Uh, When I go home tonight, I've been thinking about it. You know, God never asks you to make a rush decision. He's a gentleman. He always will give you time to think about it and give you the heart and agreement to do it. But I'm ready. 
I'm ready for God to do some new stuff around here. So uh, uh, that's my challenge to us today.